ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dying Time is here. That's right, we're talking Jason X on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from outer space. This is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to digging in to all of the wonderful characters of the Friday the 13th franchise. We're going to unpack all the gory details of Jason X in the hopes that a space marine's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust to do that high five with your forearm, the one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? I'm good, Patrick, but uh, I've been thinking about some things since uh, since we last recorded, and, and I think that at least for the time that we continue to cover Jason X, mm-hmm. that, that we really need cool nicknames like like the characters in this movie oh sure so 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 after some careful research and test marketing i have determined that i am going to go forward as bandit and you're going to be cyclone okay or 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 you could be or or you could be bandit and i could be cyclone it's really i'm I'm not that married to those names but it just has to be (laughs) one of those two names just one of the two. You're easy in terms of the details, but you one of those two. Or, or, we, or we could mess with our listening audience and just switch back and forth between each episode. Oh, that's true. Well, I think we should put it up in Twitter as a poll, and that way the three people that will respond, you know, <laughs> will know at the end of it. It'll be nice. Uh, I don't mean to scare you, Gina, but we are not alone. That's right. We have a special guest. He is a writer of renown, a premier James Bond enthusiast, and currently serves as the editor-in-chief and creative director for the relaunch of the granddaddy of all horror magazines, Fangoria. That's right. It's the one and only Phil Nobile Jr. How you doing, sir? Hey, Patrick. What's happening? I am excellent. Thank you so much for joining us here. Cool. I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. Now, as a man who has been put in charge of the bloody pages of Fangoria magazine, which will rise from the dead this October, I have to ask you, what was your first encounter with the Friday the 13th franchise? It was a formative one, I would say. So take you back to 1982, the summer. I'm visiting my brother in Maryland. He's in the Navy. Uh, My brother's probably uh, all of 19 years old at this time. Uh, And he, he took me to see friday the 13th part three in 3d and this and i say this as a positive we were the only two white folks in the audience (laughs) so it was a special experience in many ways for me i've never seen a movie theater that engaged that rowdy that uh interactive Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it changed, it changed a whole lot for my young eyeballs. I was not quite 12 and, uh, it fixed. I know part three is not the best film. I know it's got some issues and some, 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 uh, shortcomings, but it fixed part three Jason as my Jason, like down mm-hmm. to the collectibles I'm buying today. Like I'm, <laughs> I am the part three guy. I'm Richard, Richard Brooker forever. Yeah. It was amazing. And it's, it was the, like one of the, my, my VHS collection did not include all the movies, but it definitely included part three. Part three is one of two Blu-rays of the series that I own. Uh, that's the special one for me. 
Yeah, I you know I quite enjoy three when it we I did enjoy how we watch movies <laughs> where where we stop and we start. Um, but I I did see it uh, recently in town at one of the revival houses that is is no more uh, for a lot of good reasons. And a young woman behind me was the her first time seeing it, and so I kind of got her experience with it. And, uh, and it just brought me right back. I did sneak in to see five minutes of it in the summer of 1983, uh, oh. because that summer there were a bunch of 3D movies that came out, and one of them was Jaws 3D. Right. And I begged my parents to drop me off at the movie theater whenever they could for me to watch this terrible film. Mm-hmm. One of those Saturdays that they relented, I snuck in because they were both using the same kind of 3D glasses. I snuck in for five minutes of oh. part 3D, and it was it was vivid. Was that was that one of the reasons that you latched onto this format of watching a movie in five minute chunks, or <laughs> did we stumble well, upon something just now? Yeah, it's quite possible that that might be at the core of this. Absolutely. The the other thing is, listen, everyone can talk about a movie and most people do. And that's great. I just didn't we just didn't want to join the fray. And the idea of a minute by minute gave me hives. Yeah. Kill by kill. Well, that can be almost any length of time we want, because when we're done with it, we're done with it. And that way. Not everyone who, you know, is that enthusiastic about sitting down to watch Jason X. Sure. I, I have to ask, so before we get into the spot that we, we settled on here, I couldn't help but notice the kill immediately prior to our section was the great Todd Farmer. And I was wondering if you had him on the podcast. There is, we have a slight connection to him that we may be able to exploit. Yeah. I do wonder if he listens to the way we treat his film. <laughs> If he will want to join us, I mean, we have plenty of questions for him. Yeah, I think he's a lovely guy. I, uh, he's a, he's an online friend of mine, and I would be happy to make the the introduction. And I think he's oh, yeah. got a pretty good sense of humor about the stuff. And uh, <laughs> I couldn't help but notice. I was like, oh man, they have to have Todd on because he's a he's a very important. He's killed twice in the thing in in, in essence. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think we I think we could do that. I, I think I get a little nervous because if we can take this back to part three, if only for a second, the man who plays Shelley, whose name escapes me, of course, at the very moment that I needed to talk about him. Lovely man. I met him at a screening here locally and he could not be nicer. He comes like every Friday the 13th thing here in town. And he's just just a lovely individual. And people use him as an entertainment lawyer. He's remarkable at his job. But I mentioned about the show, I said, you don't have to come on. We don't really talk to people from the the movies. We just talk about them. (laughs) And he listened to his episode. And he was less than thrilled. Oh, no. Yeah, you don't want to piss off a lawyer. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) Luckily, my edge of the business doesn't touch his edge of the business. But, I mean... It, it was the summer of 2016. Yeah. People were very angry about female Ghostbusters. We had a real allergic reaction to fuckboy looks. <laughs> and Shelly really rides that edge. It's something he's very aware of, but I also don't think he wants it to confront it very often. Yeah. You yeah. don't want to be told about your, you know, yeah. your shortcomings. Well, he identifies with it so much, but he it, it's because they're both lovely people deep down. But he didn't make those choices in the movie. Like, they wrote a script for him. 
Yeah. The reason people remember it is because of his performance of it, but Absolutely. he's not Shelley. No, and he and he's he's one of the slasher film success stories. I think you know he became an entertainment lawyer and he was a game show champion. He's a uh, was it Larry Zerner? Is that his name? Yes, Larry Zerner. Yeah, yeah. So he's you know he should have a. He should not be upset about any dissection of, of the film in, in the year of our Lord 2016, I wouldn't think. <laughs> well, it comes down to someone spending an entire episode talking about how you treat women might. Right. You know, sure. it might grate on someone. Sure. So, fair enough. Fair enough. But we had our excuses. It was a very trying time. A trying time <laughs> that does not appear to be over! <laughs> um. But there you go. So why don't we get into this thing? Okay. Uh, Let's do a quick body count. Who's still left alive at this point in the movie? Why, almost everyone, unfortunately. Uh, Let's start with Rowan, who speaks at a very specific register that the audience can hear, but no man around her can, Uh, including (laughs) Professor Lowe. Now, he's a man of refined taste and trashy lingerie. And then we have Janissa. Her personal brand of space madness is that she's excessively horny. And nope, that's it. She's just excessively <laughs> horny. Uh, then we have Sooneron. And he, you know, when you think about it, he was an incel before it was cool. Quick update. <laughs> it's never cool. It, it may be. You don't know. You don't know what 450 years is going to look like. It's true. It might have evolved. It's all the rage. <laughs> oh, they God. might finally have triumphed by that point. <laughs> That's right. They just, may just, may lose the battle. They'll win the war. Jordan Peterson's head is in a jar on top of a robot body and just telling them <laughs> what they need to know for life. Posing up against shitty drapes. <laughs> and, of course, we have KM. Now, she's an android. I say she just because she looks like a she, but really gender shouldn't enter into this. An android so advanced that no one makes fun of her modified Dorothy Hamill haircut. <laughs> uh, and then we have Waylander and Kinda and the engineer guy and the pilot who wears a red plastic cowboy hat. Waldo, I assume. There's a lot of people left in this movie. Yeah, there's the um, there's the scientist, which I don't even recall that character showing up before this point. Like he's like a bot- he's like a botanist or something like that. No, that's the engineer guy. Oh, I do not even remember him. I honestly don't even remember this character. Because <laughs> I, I wrote down his name later. <laughs> I, I'm watching again. We're watching this in in chunks. I'm like, wait, are we still introducing new characters? He might have been seen during like a transmission from one fat ass spaceship to another fat ass spaceship. All the spaceships in this movie have very round butts. <laughs> um, how, how many? Can so, I ask how many episodes you've been talking about this film for? <laughs> this is our fourth. Fourth. The yeah. Fourth. Okay. Sorry, I just, I just, I'm lacking a little bit of context in in uh, in how deep you've gone, and I have to confess, as I've been a little bit busy, I only watched the assigned segment so far. So the, the rest perfect. I haven't seen in 15 years. Let's say. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, all you need to know, it's right in front of you. You yeah. don't need to know anything that happens after this. We we are in the here and now. Sure. And we open with uh, Professor Lowe attempting to bribe a security officer to help him keep a dangerous, unkillable monster alive so he can sell it on the black market like uh, so many Beanie Babies or whatnot. Yep. And we're in full Aliens ripoff at this point. You've got He's oh, like yes. the Paul Reiser type. 
Yeah, and, and this whole, he's Burke, and then he goes into a little bit of Gorman in, in this whole scene with the whole, you know, no, they're, they're okay. They, they know what they're doing. No, everybody's dying. He's mm-hmm. a Girk or a Borman. Yeah, it's, it's really just shamelessly just into aliens at this point. And I, I get it, because aliens is fucking awesome. But also, you're kind of setting yourself up to look unfavorable in comparison. And that's where I kind of get weirded out by this. Like, instead of making these space marines, I don't know, like, doobie smoking burnouts or making them, uh, you know, kill bots from Chopping Mall. Like, there's a lot of directions they could have gone with, but directly referencing aliens just, I don't think, makes them look all that swell in comparison. They look quite a bit like... uh... Halloween costume models. Yeah, they're and they're lazy space marines because they don't bother to put on helmets and they don't even bother to completely cover their arms. There's no helmets. There's a lot of exposed underarm and I know there's a lot of main <laughs> arteries under there on that bicep. Yeah, I was there's, just like you, you have your uniform design so you could show off your tattoo. There's a lot yeah, there're more people wearing helmets in the virtual reality component of this spaceship than these space marines hunting a monster. Everybody's working on a budget. It's true. And yet they had enough money left over to put lights in their chest armor that directly shine into their eyes. Is is that something that armies and marines do? I've never been affiliated with with an armed force, so... I can't say. It's it's not that I'm unwilling. It's that I'm completely uh, unable and allergic to it. Huh. It might be the lighting equivalent of one arm tied behind my back. It's sort of a braggy kind of thing. I don't sure. even need to see, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, that way they can keep most of the set black so that you don't see. It's just exposed studio walls. Yeah. Uh, because they can't afford entire to really four-wall this entire set. They, they are walking along a very narrow uh, chunk of something for the ele- the 11 minutes that we watched of this scene it 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 got a little repetitive and it got a little you started like they started to sink in how uninspired the set design was yeah i mean i think that's really one of the the elements here that i find truly lacking now this is 11 million dollars converted into 11 million canadian cuz it goes a lot farther okay and it's it feels like leftovers galaxy of terror was made on two dimes that they rubbed together really hard mm-hmm. and it looks 15 billion times better than this hmm. now granted they had james cameron as a set designer yeah. making the, aliens the, the, references once the, okay, again this but, movie this movie only wish they had james cameron as a set designer <laughs> They went, they went a weird way with that sort of value. They were like, well, let's get David, David Cronenberg as an actor. And that was like probably money poorly spent. Although I think on reflection, that makes it, you know, that's a, a highlight of the film. You get to watch Cronenberg. Uh, now, I don't mean to jump backwards or anything, but no. just trying to figure out where the money went here. And uh, <laughs> Without him, you would not get that wonderful sequence where he tells Rowan that he, he doesn't want Jason frozen. He wants him soft. <laughs> and... I, I, yeah, just the way, just the way it, you say that, it just makes it that much it's, more creepy. You're like, soft. Soft. <laughs> soft. Oh, why? <laughs> it's just my mind has not stopped racing about why he wants him soft. <laughs> it's a very distinct request. Yeah. 
He was into him on the cellular cellular level. He wanted to replicate his healing properties and whatnot, right? That you was know, the that was the dream. I, I think to see what sort of Tinkerbell magic from Part Nine that regenerates his cells could be replicated in a lab and then injected into soldiers to make uh, Captain America's. Mm-hmm. It's I a said, solid plan. It works for me. I mean, he's sitting right in front of you, but in order to really make that happen, you need him soft. Can't have him hard. Doesn't work out. Can't just <laughs> well, take samples. Good thing they got Kane Hodder then. Kane Hodder is about a mile wide in this movie. I don't like uh, a thick Jason. He's not he- He's not fat. He- the- this is all muscle. But it's so much muscle that it's on the other end of it. Like, he looks like the most ripped version of the, uh, of the not the Hawaiian punch guy, high C guy. And the high C guy comes through a wall. But if he Kool-Aid. was, like, super muscular, that would be Kane Hodder in this movie. Husky, my mom would have said. Yes, he's top loaded. Yeah, I would uh, say I would say burly would be a good way, a good word to describe him. But I, I just can't understand how he got so burly. I don't think he did a lot of leg days. I mean, I is he, he is, mainly focused is he on his top down, half? Is he slamming down you know power shakes in between <laughs> in between killing people? I mean, he's not eating anything, right? I mean, he he's he's basically dead, so he's not you getting any nutrition. So right. you know, what is he? You know, what is he consuming to to you know turn to muscle? He's not getting any cardio either. He's he's in suspended animation before the film, so he's and 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 in and in hibernating. And, in, and then Jason takes Manhattan. He is clearly out of shape because he <laughs> is just he is just huffing and puffing and and barely keeping up with people on the on this on this on this boat. Yeah, he's definitely done more cardio than he had done in seven and eight, where he was for a corpse. Breathing very heavily. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I don't think is necessary when you don't have lungs that haven't been used as a fish toilet for several years. Yeah. You get the sense um, he, did, he didn't have an actor's director in, in those films. <laughs> and he was sort of just sort of left to his own devices. Kane was doing the best he could, you know. I, I think Kane does a lot of great things. He's in my top five. Of he Jason's. might be in my top three. Yes. Okay. But the things that stick out to me are are the difficult parts. The heavy breathing is is a is one that I, I find a bit of a stickler. That and sometimes he doesn't feel like he needs to get anywhere all that fast. <laughs> Whereas like to bring this back to part three, you know, that Jason gets excited. Yeah. <laughs> there's something like, there's he sees something you out up. the window, he's like, Oh, 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 oh a puppy? Yeah. And in a way, that's dark in a way, especially when I was 11. That was kind of scary that he had that little leather face edge to him. Yeah. And uh, I, and that's the one of the, and he's a vocal, the part three is a vocal Jason, mm-hmm. where if he gets hurt, he, he squeals a little bit like Grunt. Chunk from the Goonies. Yeah. But Kane, uh, you know, we, when we go to horror cons, we talk about, we, we spot a lot of, uh, I, like Michael Myers, it's a Michael Myers costume on a leather face body. You see that a lot. And... <laughs> And Jason, you know, has a spectrum of, of, you know, there's the Ted White kind of almost lean and then there's, you know, the, the thicker guys. And, and But Kane's taken it right at the edge of, of maybe the wrong body for Jason by the end here. Listen, he's got a journey. Uh, I, I don't disrespect him as a, as a man or an individual, something I have seen him visibly bristle at. So if you're looking to do that, my suggestion is don't. Um Say if you're at a, a, a movie screening and there's a Q&A afterwards, 
don't start your question with a comment about him and his physical appearance <laughs> or your preference for another Jason. He will fucking end you. <laughs> Not physically, verbally and with his eyes. Yeah, I've, I've met him once or twice. He's, he's, a, he's a very friendly fella. But, uh, yes. you know, it's it's a weird legacy to walk around with. We can only imagine what it's like to, to have this sort of narrow part of your life. Although maybe he's the first Jason who embraced it the way he did, I think. Uh, I think but, so. You know, who's sort of invited to being defined by it, uh, certainly more than the other guys did. But I, I like, I don't know, it's a weird thing, but I like the idea that someone is unhappy with that legacy. Like the idea that they're walking <laughs> around kind of like, oh, please don't ask me about the three weeks I made this movie again. Um, I always I always love that energy, you know, the Halloween actors and, and uh, Carpenter to some degree of, of bristling at this thing that they did. Because it makes the thing itself uh, more illicit instead of, uh, it's hard to explain, but it it's when you embrace it to the level that Kane Hodder did, it, it makes it almost corny in a way. Like there's a, you know, the difference between like the horror bros who live, breathe and dress <clears throat> and tattoo up themselves as horror. And the guys like Cronenberg who look like, you know, accountants, but <laughs> have made undeniable classics of the genre. There's something to be said for the folks that kind of are in, in a weird hurry to put it behind them. It makes, it makes the thing itself more compelling. It should feel a little dirty sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It which is always have to be that, but which is why know. I don't understand you guys so upset about five, but we're gonna have to talk about that another time. <laughs> <laughs> five is the dirtiest, but it sorry. Absolutely is the dirtiest. I mean, not a woman walks by a mirror who doesn't feel the amazing <laughs> compulsion to take off her top for no apparent reason. Sometimes monologue to themselves like they're a Bond villain. Yeah. Uh, I don't begrudge anyone. No one can argue you out of your love for <laughs> five any more than they can argue me into it. And the pure genius of the Friday the 13th franchise is there's so many different flavors that when it comes down to it, it's like a, my common analogy for all of pop culture. It's ice cream. Sure. Like your body doesn't need ice cream. Your soul does. So when you pick a flavor that I don't care for, it doesn't really stop me from ordering <laughs> the flavor I do care for. I like so this. getting upset about it is like, come on. Right on. So here we go. Let's uh, re-enter the fray <laughs> of the 11 minutes we're covering here. Um, speaking of Cronenberg, Sergeant Brodsky appears to be dressed like he's ready to assist surgery in Dead Ringers. It's a bit weird for a soldier outfit. He's got a little kind of bondagey looking ring thing in the middle of his chest, which kind of made me double take a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot of like uh, bony uh, electronics in here, which someone has obviously spent a lot of time on. But it also feels a little bit out of step with all the rivets in the wall behind everyone. Or th The hallway that they're walking down appears to have been taken whole cloth from the queue of a rocket ship themed roller coaster and just <laughs> planted into this movie. And then Lowe makes uh, this, I find, perhaps more even egregious than the Aliens references. He says that they're on their way to Solaris. And I'm wow. like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I, I guess I've seen some movies. I, great, good for you that you've seen movies. We don't have to reference all the movies. <laughs> this is for you, sci-fi fans. Oh, thank you. <laughs> sci-fi fan. <laughs> the sci-fi fan who's watching this with their arms crossed exactly. in the middle of a movie theater. 
Just that, just that emoji with the two, with the three straight lines. It's supposed to be your eyes and your mouth. That's how these people are watching this movie. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? This came out nigh two years or so in change after The Matrix. <laughs> this is come on, like not every movie has to have the biggest of budget and the grandest of aspirations but you put jason on a spaceship i want you to at least try a little He's, am i um, am i Mike, correct in in remembering this is the first uh film in the series shot digitally is that true oh that might very well be true certainly nine is not you can see a lot of grain on it yeah it's and, 93 yeah so i that and could entirely be true that maybe that's why it looks so tv setty yeah and because you're shooting <laughs> digital it's canadian and a makeup can... artist is directing <laughs> there could be yeah. anything it could be anything there's a lot of mid shots yeah it's safely yeah. shot yes Safely shot so it could <laughs> safely be put on a shelf by new line for two safe years oh, was that true um my favorite part of this scene is when Brodsky uh, accepts the uh, bribe proposal from Lowe, and he makes a motion towards a door that's supposed to open upward, and one part of it jiggles as it goes up. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the one grip did not get the same cue that the second one did. Oh, I love that stuff. Man. You know, a take two, perhaps? Nope. Moving on. <laughs> Uh, so this is when we meet the majority of the grunt squad and actually hear them talk. Uh, they look like the TV cast of fame and aliens cosplay. <laughs> uh, we have, first of all, Dallas, who's not in this group, RIPD. Uh, but then we have Sven, Condor, Gecko, Kicker, <laughs> Briggs, Bafo, Jim Boy, <laughs> Clownface. Some of those I might be making up. Cyclone and Bandit. Cyclone and Bandit. <laughs> wow. Coming at you. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, it's going to be a hot debate as to which one is Cyclone that, and Bandit. If that doesn't I want to hear people's ra- rationale. If, if that doesn't generate some fan art, I'm going to be so fucking disappointed. <laughs> we got some good ones for Jason piloting a boat, so fingers <laughs> crossed. And during the sequence, uh, Brodsky makes a BFG reference, which is, does not mean Big Friendly Giant, but Big Fucking Gun from Quake 2. That was the last time I played video games until my kid got an Xbox. Is it Quake 2 <laughs> or is it Doom? I thought it was Doom. It's originally Quake 2. Doom referenced it. Oh, Doom okay. made it a big thing. I, Quake I don't, 2 I had know. it in the, in the manual, apparently. I am. I first wrote Doom, and then I did research because, like, I had the fucking morning. I guess. I'm not a gamer. Um, I thought that was a cable thing from like Rob Leefield. Oh man! <laughs> if these people had some some pockets, some little pouches, pouches, belts, tiny feet, the whole thing, <laughs> some inappropriate eye scars. Oh, it's good stuff. We're told that uh, Sven and Gecko have <laughs> to take the starboard pontoon. So this spaceship is a catamaran, apparently? They're just throwing out words at this point. Sure. They're, they're, starboard, I'll give you, but pontoon? They're, I, they're, 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 their knowledge of spaceship technology is about as random as their character naming. <laughs> I, just, I do wonder if you put them in a big hat and just... <laughs> it really out. feels like that. Because I, it doesn't feel like 
does it feel outside a condor who kind of gets the the hawkeye of the group treatment where he gets to go high and like it only made sense in that first avengers <laughs> like oh yeah you put a guy who watches things from high up like up on a building and he just like shoots them at random oh he should be on that team then but it doesn't work out so well for me but we're gonna get to that let's just say this from the onset um i've heard more convincing bloodlust from a from a group of co-op preschool children <laughs> than this group of space marines. Yeah, these people all seem just more annoyed that they've gotten called away from whatever, presumably hitting on each other constantly to to <laughs> to do their job. They're just they they're just they just could not be more yeah, whatever. Let's just go find this unkillable murder machine. I think uh, it, it might be. I'm not sure, but uh, if you're going to criticize Canadians for not seeming bloodthirsty. That might be ableist. <laughs> it might it might be, you know, uh uh problematic, you know. We, yeah. we shouldn't okay. we shouldn't uh judge them too harshly. They are That's Canadian. Right. And and yet they make de- you know, decent enough cop shows. You know, their <laughs> their SWAT dramas are top notch. I think that they import the uh the, the bloodlust though. <laughs> Make sure you bring it up from south. You smuggle it in. Yeah, they, they swap. They they you know it's a nice swap. We you know we give them bloodlust. They give us Tylenol with codeine. Damn, <laughs> it's a complicated I, I relationship. Think about the most aggression probably seen on this set was between in this particular group was like, oh, let's all do like a push up contest before the cameras start rolling. That's that's my <laughs> guess where it started and ended. And, and Kane Hodder just coming in, causing almost an international incident at like at lunch. Because I don't talk to you. Don't be in my eye line when I'm Jason. Yeah. Just put the protein shake in front of me with a straw <laughs> so it fits through the hole, the hockey mask. And don't talk to me. If you told me right now that Briggs was played by Busy Phillips, I would believe you. The best praise I can give this entire movie is that whoever was the hair person and did the braids <laughs> was excellent at their job the grunts quickly find the remains of dallas azrael azrael's hair and this sends a chill through uh the room with all the scientists and students cut to rowan speaking to no one in particular uh that's because there are men on either side of her uh she says i hope these guys know what they're doing and my response is that it looks like they needed at least one more week of rehearsal, at least, to give the appearance of knowing what they were doing. And it doesn't help that their guns have all the weight and heft of an empty cardboard gift wrap tube. I was gonna say I was gonna say they look more like um, uh, metal uh, water cans, <laughs> sure. water bottles. Jeez, I can't think of that. <laughs> Metal uh, fluid uh, containers. Receptacles. <laughs> Receptacles. For, uh, for a little while there, I was like, oh, well, you know, it's futuristic polymer. Maybe it doesn't have the same heft, but it's it. they, they are not selling any kind of gravity to those guns at all. I, I don't think they were given the chance to because whatever prompts they're, they're, they have barely weigh anything and it makes it look a little ridiculous. Like everyone needs a little help to, to give a reality mm-hmm. to what is essentially something preposterous and i don't think they're being helped 
well, in for, particular. Well, for all the you know the the futuristic look of the guns, they still just fire like machine guns. Sure. Yeah, they don't <laughs> have they, the, they don't have that cool, weird noise. They don't have that cool you know noise that the guns and aliens did. It's just you know it's a basic kind of slightly tweaked machine gun noise. Like there's a lot of air power to the bullets. I don't know. It's weird for people to be firing a lot of bullets in a spaceship. Let's just say that out loud. Fair. Yeah, yeah. That's never something that um, really makes sense. Uh, I just want to break in here, make sure that everyone knows that Sunaron is still wearing that bizarre fucking tunic with the pattern that uh, they use to theme the walls at medieval times. Yes, yeah, Sunaron <laughs> in the, the last two segments we've watched has contributed less than nothing to, to the proceedings. Yeah. Which is interesting that he lasts as long as he does in this in the in in, in this movie. It's like someone in the front office said, "Get me a Chandler Bing," and he was the last one on the line, and they for, they put one of his batteries in the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> he just he doesn't quite get there. Doesn't quite have the wattage he needs. Yeah, he's just sort of puzzled. And everything. I mean, I mean, and, and again, to once more fall back on mentioning aliens, the whole sequence with the space marines chasing Jason around, everybody can hear this. And everybody can hear them all getting killed off. He's just kind of standing there sort of impassively listening. Yeah, like he's waiting for lunch to be delivered. You would think that, you know, I, I don't know what the actors were really listening to. It's... You know, it's probably one of those things where, you know, it's everything is edited in a way where they're reacting to what they're supposed to be hearing, but they're really listening to something else. I just, you know, it's like, what are you listening to? A baseball game? He's just sort of, he, he could not be less interested in what's happening. So we cut back to uh, Briggs tapping Kicker on the shoulder, who freaks out. Uh, that, steel, that, you... that steely space marine personality, which <laughs> someone tapping on your shoulder causes you to shit your pants. Hard-bitten space marine. See, this is why you apply gentle pressure to the shoulder. I learned that from that industrial welding short on Mystery Science Theater 2000. I going to say, wait, I thought you were never in the space marines. <laughs> no, they, it doesn't mean I didn't take a couple training courses. I went to community college, Gina. <laughs> Some of the finest community colleges that Glendale has to offer. The banter between... Briggs and Kicker is adorable. It's a real will they or am I still awake? Yeah, I, I think I took my headphones off for some during this for some reason or another, and I was like, are they flirting with each other again? Yeah, like everyone assumes that everyone wants to sleep with them, but we never really see a lot of evidence of that. Uh, cut back to the rec room or something. Uh, fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> Everyone, because we're going to meet an all-new character here in a film that could lose at least half of them. <laughs> it's Crutch. He's a man who's dressed up as D-Day from Animal House I, I was, one Halloween. That's that's, that's, just, that's what I was I was trying to think of. Who's this character remind me of? Because he kind of has a little bit of a Danny McBride thing going on. Sure. But but I'm like, okay, he's got some sort of like 70s era like leather biker vest. And it's 450 years in the future, and this guy looks like a minor character in a Cheech and Chong movie. <laughs> and 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 one and now we're trying, you know, after a little bit of Firefly, after a little after a lot of Aliens, now we're trying something for another look. Now we're trying to go for a little bit of a steampunk thing, which which okay, movie, you are trying a lot of things, and none of it is working. 
but he's got like the little, you know, old timey magnifying glass over his eye. Why does he have that? It's 450 years into the future and he's got some sort of like Victorian era little spyglass thingy. He's also wearing over the ear uh, individual earbuds, which was all the rage in 1998. Mm. Uh, it does not seem very futuristic compared to some of the other tech. You got a real Dennis Franz vibe off of him. Yes, Dennis Franz. It was like kind of like I said, half Danny McBride, half Dennis Franz. But this was the kind of all the things you're describing. It's the kind of world building that you might call um, on the day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we are building a a. a future he lived in future but we're making it up on the day yes uh very much so and i know what they're going for here right this sequence is meant to evoke that sort of brent attack scene an alien but instead of uh mood and atmosphere and peerless set design and dread you just have some random garbage underlit by lights with re- red and green gels on them i i can't listen i can't direct a scene as good as ridley scott can I'll freely admit that it's hard to ask anyone else to, but also don't set yourself up to and then also fail at it. Well, um, have you guys talked about the director much on this? Uh... No, we rarely give directors much credit. <laughs> well, I was going to no, say, this, it, would, it would, that, would have to impl- that would have to imply that the movie had been directed in some way. <laughs> it, it sort of happens while a camera was running. <laughs> Okay, I don't want to bring the whole thing down or anything. This this director passed away in 2012. Okay, at age so 51, we did kill him, but that is sad. <laughs> we we do know we wish him yeah. well in his family. So well. you know, um, yeah, he he did. Uh, he, he's you know known as an effects guy. He did he did a lot of effects work. He didn't direct a whole lot. Well, you know, he directed one thing. <laughs> <laughs> was this his like? This is it. This was it. This is it for him. Yeah, I see it. <laughs> you have to. Put your mind back. Like wait, wait, they're wait. filming this when slashers. Granted, it's like the tail end of that scream, you know, rush to get those movies on the screen. But even still, you have a Friday the Thirteenth title that you know you have Jason Voorhees. You could get a movie out. You're gonna do something a little different. You're gonna put it in space. Okay, you see the movie. You're like, we need to put this on a shelf for two years. I don't know. And the story, by that yeah. time, people will be ready. Yeah, I have to correct myself. He directed four things. Oh, okay. sorry to say, uh, he did a movie called Skinwalkers, which I remember being a real big um, website ad presence when it was. <laughs> it was just on every site. I think that had some some TV actors in it, if I remember correctly. I don't think I made it all the way through it mm. when I saw it on HBO. Yeah. So. Yeah, Skinwalkers was not what. Well, yeah, that's not a resume builder. No, no, no. Um, but yeah, I just didn't want to put it out there that he only directed one thing. That was my mistake. Primarily an effects guy, and he passed away in 2012. Well, we wish him well. It's rough. Um, wherever he is, probably in outer space, where the rest of this movie takes place. Do you think? Um, I know I, you're you're doing your minute by minute breakdown, but I just want to. I'm just curious. Do you do you think that in when you land in this space of space marines and tough talking men and women that are sort of like a, trying to have this sexual uh, energy between them, did it ever occur to anyone to directly reference aliens in like a cute way, or is it like just this is it? This is our reference. It's kind of a half-remembered thing of, this, this is a thing you people like, and, and, and then you're just, you know, so whatever happens, happens there? Or what, what, is this a missed opportunity, do you think? I think if they had tried to do something that was a little bit of a left turn from just 
aping it mm-hmm. so directly, it probably would have come off cooler. Like, let's again, let's take this back to part three, right? Sure. So in there, you have a very small, intimate uh, biker gang. Uh, some would call them community theater players. I like to think of them as very rough and tumble, mm. but they do feel authentic. Like, when you see them on motorcycles and you see them in the gear, you're kind of like, well, they don't seem out of place within the world they're trying to portray. They kind of feel like three people who, for reasons we're never told, all ride uh, motorcycles together. (laughs) That authenticity is not inherent here. So I, I would like them to have gone in more of that direction of choosing people who might not have been the hunkiest or the sexiest or the you know wb ready yeah group but something was that was a bit more interesting and raw that had an energy to them sure and that's where i think this film seems to lack most of all is individual energy yeah everyone's kind of delivering everything in a very sleepy tone at a sleepy pace Things just kind of occur while the camera's pointed at them. And as a result, it doesn't really fire. Yeah. And even though some cool things happen, some cool things are about to happen, everybody. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not all terribleness. <laughs> like There are moments of, that's a good gag. But if it was casting, if it was direction, whatever it was, they just couldn't translate whatever passions they had for something like aliens into something that worked for Jason X. It just feels like a film without a point of view yeah. to me. Yeah. I think the, the, you know, we've heard stories about Cameron putting his actors through boot camp and letting them have all these team building and all. And that's obviously a luxury that a Cameron can get. And obviously a luxury that Canadian Jason X cannot get. And I wonder if that's just a deflating thing to sort of realize when you're in it. He wants it to be this thing, but he doesn't have the resources to make it be this thing. And then what do you do? <laughs> you know, when you're when you're sitting on set and you have that moment of clarity, what happens then? I often wonder how people feel. I mean, I have I was just on three different sets this month for various things that we had a part in. Oh. And it can be very difficult to tell in the moment whether or not something will work. Because it can look good, it can feel good, and then you get into the editing bay and you're like, what was I thinking? Mm-hmm. That's where fear creeps in. Sometimes you see a shot, you go, oh, this is going to work. This is going to work. And when you feel that, there's an energy on the set that helps carry that through. But when doubt starts to enter in, people start to get hesitant. They don't go full out. Mm-hmm. They hold back. And that's a recipe for bad art, people. Mm-hmm. And that's been Patrick Hamilton's wonky <laughs> entertainment fest. Career day. It's a little career fair. A little job fair for us in the middle. Kill, 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 kill. Break, 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 break. Hey there, hi there, ho there, killers. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton. You know what? We always say, if you take time out of your day to write us a nice review on iTunes and you tell us what your favorite kill is in the Friday the 13th franchise. We're going to read it here on the air. 
for everyone. Uh, we received uh, one review from a gentleman by the name of Will Whiskey, and he praised the show. He was happy that he'd gone all the way through. He's kind of sad that he didn't have a bunch of new episodes to listen to, uh, but he was very kind to us. He also told us that his favorite death, without a doubt, is the wheelchair down the stairs death from part two. You and Gina. And I get it, man. That is an awesome death. Thank you so much. Uh, he's also looking forward to Nightmare on Elm Street. That's coming up a little bit down the line. We also received a nice uh, review from Monsterello 3000, who writes that you don't really realize how many bizarre character choices are in a horror movie until you hear them discussed in detail. And that's what we're all about here at uh, Kill by Kill. So if you... Uh, do us the grand favor of writing a nice review on iTunes. We're going to make sure that you, you put in what your favorite kill is that we've covered so far and we'll read it here on air. That's our solemn promise to you, the Kill by Kill listener. I also want to let you know that this Tuesday we will have a special bonus episode. It won't be particularly long, but there's some really cool stuff that I want you to check out that's this Tuesday. It's a very special bonus episode with Gina and I. We're going to give you uh, a quick sneak peek at a podcast that we really love. We want you to check out from Wondery uh, that I think anyone who listens to this show would be crazy for. So join us on Tuesday for that. And now the body count continues. Kill, 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 kill. Break, 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 break. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the man we just met, Crutch, yeah, uh, is uh, noodling with something that requires uh, those eyeglasses that watchmakers wear. And uh, he hears something. He sees Jason's mask in a mirror. Goes, oh, my God. And then Bratzik goes, get down. And they shoot Jason a million bazillion times with their machine guns that sound like air cannons inside a spaceship. Oh, the good part about this is we get plenty of John Woo sparks in the background. <laughs> I love John Woo sparks. All the rage in 2001. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're going to do it, this was the time to do it. It was also the time to do it in Face Off, and that came out a half decade before this. <laughs> as a guy who's only watched this this assigned scene, Crutch gets away. He He lives as far as I know. Yes, he at least lives to see another space day. Yeah. I don't know how they tell time in a spaceship. But yeah, he he escapes this, uh, complaining that they've wrecked all this stuff. (laughs) Now it's story time, kids. And this is somewhat entertainment related, but I wasn't there. But I'm going to cast your mind into uh, a little office building on the Warner Brothers lot. And you have Christopher Nolan, and he's prepping Batman Begins. And he tells... All his production people, you know that scene in Jason X where the grunt squad is chasing Voorhees all around? I want to do that, but good. And everyone high-fived, and then they did it. And that's film history. (laughs) What we're about to see is that Batman begins at the docks sequence, done not as well as you saw it in Batman Begins. (laughs) But the beats... Are note for note. I can't tell if you're uh, kidding you right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's a lot of crazy similarities, and we'll get Ooh. to some of them. Uh, first of all, uh, Brodsky tells Condor 
to get airborne. And at, immediately I think, oh, he's got a jetpack. No, he just goes up on some fucking rafters. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's a space marine. Like, give him jet boots. Nope. <laughs> he just climbs some stairs. Nothing makes cinema sing quite like watching a guy hoof it. Conversely to this, we have Sven, and he's the first person to get taken out. He's threading his way through all the uh, space uh, containers. <laughs> In very narrow hallways. (laughs) And he's taken out when Jason returns to an old favorite move. You might remember it from part eight. It's called the vampire. Yes, I was going to say, he he, he goes back into his true form, vampire. (laughs) (laughs) The vampire is a great one because he just comes out of the darkness, snatches you, kills you mildly. And lays you down to rest the, and sing the song of angels. Yeah, he does. He does yeah. like you know. Consider he's just usually just flings people's bodies aside. He just gently lays them down. It looks like he was gonna like lean over, just give him a little kiss on the forehead. Good night. <laughs> he I could, did not know you, he but could, I did love you in my way. He could barely extend his arms in that hallway, so there wasn't a lot of room to fling anything <laughs> but I, I you know I haven't rewatched the series in quite a while but I the thing that stood out to me about this particular kill was it, it was fairly unimaginative and, and Jason you know you go to these movies to watch the crazy ways that he kills people and this was just the sort of a run-of-the-mill Rambo neck break I think the the neck breaking very very much came into vogue with Jason circa part six. Okay. Where he's a big movie monster. He's basically Godzilla. And they had to do so much of that bloodless because yeah. the MPAA was all up there hinder on part five. And so that was their count that was how they zigged when the MPAA figured they would zag. Mm. It's a lot of crunching, it's a lot of body manipulation. Oh, and then for sure. You know, bending the, guys in half and whatnot, though this was this was exactly. sort of pedestrian. Some some great foley work, I guess, but biting <laughs> an healthy apple. snap. Yeah, it's a crunchy. But it, considering how many kills we're about to see that cut away before the kill, it was this was a, a disappointing one. It was just it just wasn't a very uh, creative kill. Yes, and it shot from above, mm-hmm. which could be cool, but I promise you, it isn't. <laughs> What I'm trying to say is I really miss Canada Cop from part eight. He was such a brief part of that film and yet so vibrant, so alive with potential. He was so sorry. So very, very sorry. (laughs) He was great. Anyways, let's cut to Rowan saying this isn't going to work and no one listening. Very on brand. Cut back to Condor. He's playing Hawkeye, as we uh, mentioned earlier. But wait, Jason is there. Are you ready? This is the big fight scene. We get a semi version of the part eight fight on the rooftop when we get an action back roll and we get a crane kick. We get an elbow to the face mask, which cannot feel good on your elbow at all. Uh, But this fight does not last long as Kane Hodder just pushes him. (laughs) And it's very, I mean, he definitely hits him, but he kind of gives him more of a forearm than a punch. And Condor goes flying over uh, a railing, as uh, Space Mutiny fans know, the most deadly of all space-related deaths. And uh, he, (laughs) uh, this fight 
let's call it what it is, like Lincoln Park. In the end, it doesn't really matter. Uh, <laughs> Condor goes flying, and he lands on top of an industrial drill. That's right. He's screwed. Oh, my God. When I... I, I hadn't watched this movie in years, but when they say this line, I'm just like, I'm grimacing in anticipation. That's like, don't, don't you say it. Don't you fucking say, oh my God, they said it. Almost <laughs> flung my headphones across the room. I was glad. Because <laughs> there was just enough of a pause where they want, you, you know, so that, so that Gina could get angry. And then, <laughs> then they delivered it. Uh, is is this giant screw in any way? Is the series self aware enough in, in two thousand two thousand one that this is any kind of reference to the part for Crispin Glover death? Oh, you know, I I would like to, listen. I do think the people involved in this, at least on a on a scripting level, knew what a Friday the Thirteenth movie is like. This much more fits into the pattern than let's say Jason goes to hell, which right. is much more a Terminator meets the hidden mm-hmm. than it is a Friday the 13th movie. I do think it is a call, but I think all of these are subtle callbacks are variations on the theme to that. And there are some like the face freezing section that are genuinely, Oh, that's different. Mm-hmm. That's new. And I enjoy that part. Um, Yes, I think they took that and they took it to the uh, an, an additional level, and I really appreciate the spin his body does as it begins to oh, yeah. slowly turn down the screw. I'm like, <laughs> that's good. It was like slow clap. Yeah, I think that's that's up there with like uh, part six of sense of humor. That's a it's a solid recognition that the that the uh, the kills are supposed to be uh, fun. Yes. And that's you know not, not a dirty word in this franchise. You're supposed to make these kills fun. So you know that was and there's another one coming, but yeah, it was uh it was a standout moment. Everyone in this group of space marines has been instructed to gesticulate with two fingers in directions. <laughs> and they do it very well. This is where I wrote the note, what function does the single light in the chest armor pointing at their face serve? Drama. Um, Drama. Well, I think it's so that we can still see them in this very dark set. Yeah. And that's about it. Point made when Gecko gets his own vampire treatment as Jason appears in a very small shaft of light behind her. Uh, and uh, Gecko's gasp at being at having her throat slashed is psychically connected to Janissa for some reason. Because she goes, <gasps> and then Janice goes, <laughs> which is an overreaction. We've had well, I no thought that reactions. She, I thought that she heard her. Entirely possible. Do we ever hear the actual them listening to the radio? No, I think that they're. I think that they're. They can hear what's going on. Like I said, it's it's, it's very much like like the like the uh, the scene, the first scene when they are finding all the people in the cocoons and, and aliens, and then they get they get ambushed. Yeah. Where where Ripley and Gorman and Burke are all back at their base and listening to what's happening. It's much spookier in Aliens than it is here because again, the the actors in this aren't very good at at pretending to respond to something. They just look you know all manner of either bored or perturbed. Yeah, it doesn't help that they appear so comfortable. Like there's no threat to it. In Aliens, you know they're trapped in in that mobile unit. You know, it's it's freezing cold outside, but the inside of that base is overly hot. 
and and so it's it's just it's a weird dichotomy and it, you can feel the tension and here uh if a pin dropped you wouldn't notice it you'd probably step on it days later and curse the gods <laughs> and so gecko comes out to see kicker uh, and she has her throat cut a la again shelly in part three so there's a lot of references to older films here. That's fair. That was a negative trying for me. to make. I was I was cranky yeah. that they didn't show the effect, uh, but you know that is that is a fair callback, I guess, to the after the fact thing. It's it's going to happen again in a minute with a more uh, outlandish kill. We often find sort of micro tropes within an individual film. Okay, and I think I've discovered something for in Jason X. And that is people use guns to shoot Jason into traps. (laughs) It happened in the opening sequence when Rowan shotguns him into a cryogenic tube. And it happens here when Kicker manages to shoot Jason into a massive space hook. Yeah, and then and then they have no trouble wasting ammo because he just decides. Well, I'm just going to shoot him in the legs a couple times just to make sure. <laughs> That's a nice touch. I enjoyed that. Their their assumption is if I shoot out his knees, he can't walk anymore because they have no reference for who Jason Voorhees is. I, I actually appreciate that. It's very good. And they got plenty of ammo because they. I'm sure there are pouches that have other space tubes in them. That <laughs> we never see anyone reload, so fuck if I know sure. how these guns work. <clears throat> then that's, you know, you're, you're pointing out that, that move of, of, you know, sort of border collieing him with, with gunfire into a space that you need him to go in. That's a very video game move. That then just becomes a, a deep well of disappointment that you realize that they didn't make a video game where you could could, in fact, do that. Well, fingers crossed. Gun Media, <laughs> Illmanic, get at it. Put that DLC up there, man. <laughs> now, you think you got Jason Voorhees on a hook. Literally. But nope. He can use that patented Voorhees forearm strength to pull himself up and off of that hook. And he kills Kicker off screen. <laughs> wah, wah. Another off screen kill. But another part three callback. Yeah. That's true. Very good. It feels it feels like a bummer. I will say I do enjoy the overhead shot of his now severed upper half crawling across the floor because I think that's a genuinely decent effect. It is. However, they accomplished that is pretty good. Absolutely. Um, because you can't just cut a hole in the floor because he's actually dragging himself across. However, they accomplished it, whether it's it's a combination of practical and digital. It's one of the most successful combinations of those that we see in the entire movie. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something I have no idea if I'm qualified to say, but I don't think digital was there yet. I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I guess I they mean, took off I, Lieutenant Dan's legs in 94. Yeah, I mean, this is... This came. This this was filming concurrently with the Matrix. Yeah. So <laughs> doesn't mean they got Matrix money. <laughs> I mean, they did not. I mean, no, they did not have a year to learn karate. No. no. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, let's see. This, of course, uh, Briggs uh, radios everyone that uh, Jason's on the loose. That Brodsky needs to get out there, and so we get a bit of uh, a panic sequence as Brodsky tries to figure out a way to back out of the space 
and figure out a way to defeat what seems to be an unkillable foe. This is when Briggs is uh, killed off screen, but then sent on screen as she is impaled on her own space hook. <laughs> um, I, I don't know what these fucking hooks are used for other than impaling people on them, uh, but they have plenty of them to go around. Uh, it's unfortunate because I liked Briggs and I, I liked her hair braiding. She's a wonderful woman. I had a lot to give. Just pour one out for Briggs, everybody. Uh, Brodsky's now completely alone. And we know this because there's one guy in the percussion section of this orchestra who's banging the fuck out of some metal pipes. And he's trying to make a kill, 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 ha, ha, ha. And it's not working. <laughs> it just sounds like a guy banging two different metal pipes. There there have been better orchestral moments in Friday the 13th movies. Uh, but wait, Brodsky, is, he puts his back up against the wall. This seems like a good idea, right? Because now you can see everything in front of you and no one can get in behind you. But you don't know that Jason considers walls like suggestions for the most part. He he does not like to be blocked off. This is why he hates windows and hates doors. And he yeah. punches right through that wall with his right arm and then uses his left to get bunked Brodsky with a giant spike. That's right. This film has another get bunked. Wow. It's a space bunk. Yeah, it's a space bunk. Now, Phil, are, you're, of course, new to the podcast, yes. so I don't blame you. Do you have any concept what a get bunk could possibly be? I've got nothing. I'm hanging on for dear life over here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we came up with the term. This is a micro trope of things that only happen in Friday the 13th movies where people are killed through other things. Got it now. So Kevin Bacon. Or not Kevin film, Bacon, but the, uh, yeah. No, Kevin Bacon is the first get bunk. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. It's a, it's the, the, the bunk is 10 inches off the ground. Mrs. Voorhees, spoiler for a movie that came out in 1980, and if you're listening to this fucking podcast and have not watched Friday the 13th, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Inserts a 12-inch arrow through that space with one hand through the bunk, the springs, the mattress, his spine, and the front of his neck Yeah, using the patented Voorhees for forearm strength. Mm -hmm. And therefore, every movie after that up until part seven, has at least one get bunked. Every one? Every single okay, one. In part two, yep. you have the ripoff from Bay of Blood. Uh, in part three, you have it through the hammock. In part four... While she's reading a fango, I don't mean to plug, but... <laughs> that, that happened. This absolutely happened. Um, uh, part three, it's through the, uh, through the hammock. Part four, it is through the raft when Jason Voorhees, a child who supposedly died, starts to swim like a fucking human torpedo. <laughs> uh, and then in part five, the bunking is through the outhouse and through the double-decker be double decker bed. <laughs> it's a... What is that? A bunk bed? When there a are two beds in one structure. A bunk a bed? Bunk. <laughs> It's literally hence, the name hence, of your thing. Hence the oh, term, yeah. get bunked. <laughs> I've lost my fucking mind. Um, which is, that is the most impossible bunking of all. Mm -hmm. There's no way that that bunking can possibly physically happen. Keep, just, keep going. No I want to hear the rest of these. Catch catch me up. All right, part six, uh, they, 
the it's the couple that proposes that he proposes to her on a blanket and she's dressed like a, a Mormon sister wife <laughs> and she gets bunked through him. It's a kind of a bay of blood situation sure. there too, but just standing up. And then it, it kind of disappears. It, we get close in part seven uh, with the girl who inexplicably decides to search for the guy she's hot for outside rather in the living room. Yep. Uh, that's odd. But we never really see that death because that's the, the MPA cut that out. And in part eight, we don't even get anything close to it. But she, uh, she would think in the close confines of a... Oh, wait, no, part, 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 part eight was the... Yeah, part eight was the boat was Jason Takes Manhattan. I'm, <laughs> they're all one big movie to me at this sure. point. It's a um, saga. You would, think, yes. you would think that in the relatively close confines of, of a ship and their little tiny rooms that that would be all manners of setups for, for bunkings. I mean, as close to a get bunked as we get is when Jason... Uh, psychically connects to the lead girl and reaches through that porthole and starts choking her and she stabs him through the eye mm-hmm. and we get all that uh, fish toilet juice out of his eye. <laughs> um, that's as close to it as we get in that. And and part nine, as close to we get as a get bunking, is when a man is stripped nude, tied to a sex harness, and shaved. Wow. That's, that's not a get bunking. That's just on a completely different level. We don't even, there's no name for what that is. I, again, Michael Verratti nailed this. That is the most intentional thing we have ever seen Jason Voorhees do. He's like, you, I'm going to enter you, but not with that mustache. That's a very distinct thing. Where you're like, this part I don't like. Wow. And we've never seen this before in him. So will you? That's our journey. Will you do the remake? Yes, we will be doing, we're, we're going to finish this off. We're going to do the greatest slasher movie known to man, Commando, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> okay. And and then we're going to do the remake. Okay, there's a, there's, I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a death in the remake. I'm going to have to listen to this to see if you qualify that as a bunking. Okay. All right. Well, now, I haven't seen it since I watched it in the I, theater. I've so. never seen, I've never seen it at all, so don't, oh, don't spoil me on no, it. No, not at all. I'll, I'll come back and listen to the, uh, to the breakdown on that one. Um, and, and then we're going to go through the Nightmare on Elm Street series, and we're going to meet at Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, right on. And then we'll be freed of the curse, and then we could do anything we want. <laughs> Very good. Uh, let's get back into the action, because there's one more element with Brodsky we need to discuss. Sure. And that is, his get bunking is not over yet, because he's uh, stabbed with that spike through a wall. And he says, ah, you think one, this little punch in the gut is going to keep this old dog down. And then Jason get bunks him with his own giant space machete, too. It's a double get bunking with one person. See, this is where this movie gets me. And I'm like, hey, I kind of like you. You got spunk. I hate spunk. And it's kind of a banter like that. But uh, then... It's a lot of sequences of, of, of people wearing knits that I don't care for. I, I, I will say I, I'm going to, I know I've been very hard on this movie so far, but I, Brodsky's little, little wisecrack just makes it almost worthwhile. Yeah. I, <laughs> he's, he's, please, he's just, please. He's just like, he's just like, 
Yeah, that'll do it. Yep. And I, in spite of everything, I, I, I LOL'd at that. There's, there's, <laughs> this is the tenth one. A whole movie of that would have been a gift. Yes. A whole movie of like people commenting on their own deaths with smart alecky Bill Murray esque <laughs> Bon Mots. Come on, I still Absolutely. want that movie. Absolutely, one hundred percent. I think this movie could have delivered upon that and really been a, a sort of rebirth of part six mm-hmm, in that sense mm-hmm. because there's no mystery here even though we do get the vampire like deaths it's built to be more like of a space monster movie this is a thing this is an alien this is an aliens in structure and if we had had that kind of energy where we accepted what it was and tried to make everything very grand guignol and over the top I think this would be much more highly regarded um, in the in the part six sense, and that's not everyone's cup of tea. Uh, the sixth sense, not not part six. <laughs> um, the, you know, people don't always like that humor; it falls flat for them. Whatever, you know, not every movie can be everyone's thing. But I think it would have been better served had it followed that direction instead of what it is yeah. it's a it's it's the first post scream jason movie and it and it only barely scratches the surface of capitalizing on that yes i think that is a by putting it in space um it loses the ability to be as on point with that and i don't know if they were afraid of coming off like a sort of scary movie-esque parody mm-hmm. if they went in that direction i don't i just I think New Line Cinema didn't know what to do with Jason Voorhees. Mm-hmm. They were happy they had him, but as a place that had made its bones on Freddy Krueger, they just there was something about the place that loved the idea and hated actually making the idea happen. Mm-hmm. And it shows. Yeah. So that of course brings us to everyone's favorite gambling opportunity and that is choose your own death venture now what you'll be putting up for bid is your life if you had to die in one of the ways portrayed in this section of the movie which one would you choose and why and of course that what you can choose from contains a broken neck in a very narrow hallway You could be impaled to death on a giant screw. You could be split in half by a machete. You can have your neck slit. You could be impaled on a space hook. And you can get bunked not once but twice through a wall with a spike and a space machete. And Phil, as our guest, I choose you to go first, sir. Awesome. Well, I... I, as. I didn't even realize there was a get bunk to legacy, so I think that there's a, an appeal to that to be part of that tr- fine tradition. Uh, if we're talking Jason doing it, that is. But just in terms of dying, you know, there's the old existential question of like, is it my head and my body, or is it me and my body? Is it my me and my head? I think being cut in half would be the most existential way to go. And, and I guess if I had to experience one, I'd pick that one. Okay. Now. This also means you're going to strike out with a lot of space marine ladies. Oh, I have to inherit the backstory as well? Every, uh, yes. Oh, shit. I'm sorry I didn't tell you this ahead of time, but I never tell anyone ahead of time. That's how I get you. Oh, man. <laughs> well, 
I've I've made my bed. Now I'll be cut in half in it. <laughs> I like it, Gina. What say you? Uh, I'm going to pick being impaled <clears throat> on a giant screw, mostly because I am a fan of puns. <laughs> so I probably deserve to be shoved off a platform and impaled on a giant screw just just because of that. She's screwed. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Snicker. <laughs> um, if I had to choose uh, between any of these, I think I'm going to choose being impaled on a space hook only because I get to swing afterwards and I enjoy having my hair braided. <laughs> it, it's just the me thing. Are you, are you like one of those people that goes to the Bahamas and just pays someone to braid your hair? And you, oh, yes. You just <laughs> yes. Post that, Instagram, <laughs> post that Instagram yeah. pic of you holding, you know, a pina colada with your braids. Yeah. Well, when I get back to the office and I tell Brenda that I was in the Bahamas, the only way she's going to know is if I come back with those hair braids. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Brenda isn't going to take your word for it. Fucking Brenda. <laughs> God damn, Brenda. God damn, Brenda. <laughs> She's so hard to please. Speaking of hard to please, uh, our audience isn't one of them. They enjoy hearing what people do when they're not talking on the Kill by Kill podcast. Now, Phil, sir, you have a lot to talk about. <sighs> it's a big project that everyone here should be interested in. So why don't you pitch it to the people? Oh, man. So there's a magazine called Fangoria that was started in 1979. That means it has been around longer than most of the uh, horror audience still enjoying horror at the moment. So it seemed really terrible and not okay and and not correct to us that there was no Fangoria. And as you may or may not know, it folded in 2015, 2016 and uh, had a lot of of publishing problems, had a lot of business problems. And what happened is my boss, Dallas Saunier, who runs a company called Sinistate out of Texas – uh, you might know him as a producer of Bone Tomahawk and Brawl and Cell Block 99 uh, and the new Puppet Master film. Uh, he bought Fangoria and he reached out to me about resurrecting it. And, you know, the the day that the guy who produced two of my favorite films in the past five years called me up and asked me if I wanted to run Fangoria, that's a weird day. That's a very, <laughs> very surreal day. And that was in January. And my life has kind of become very different in a very short period of time. Uh, we are in the throes of resurrecting the magazine. It's going to be a quarterly collectible print-only edition. What's in the magazine is only in the magazine. It is not going to be on the website. If you go to the website, you're going to get a very retro uh, ad to subscribe, which I recommend you do. Go to Fangoria.com and you'll see a rather amusing front page that uh, implores you to go analog and turn off the internet for a couple hours every every quarter and enjoy a 100-page deluxe uh high-end version of the magazine that we all grew up with and it's uh it's been a blast i'm i'm working with writers that are like i'm i'm fans of i'm working with filmmakers that i've been a fan of for much of my life we've got some really surprising bylines in this magazine uh from people you might not expect to see in fangoria for one reason or another uh we are also producing films uh this week we announced that we have purchased grady hendrix's script called satanic panic uh yeah and it's it's like this. It's hard, it's a horror comedy about a pizza delivery girl who runs into some Satanists. And if you know anything about Grady Hendrix, you know that it's it's going to be it's very smart. And it's very funny, and uh, I'm really excited to be involved with that. And 
you know, we're just, we're resurrecting a brand. We're going to get into all kinds of other stuff in the next year, but next year will be the 40th anniversary of Fangoria and we want to do something special. So first things first, we're going to have the magazine in October. Then we've got some films coming and we've got some special plans coming for uh, other content and uh, go to Fangoria.com, subscribe to our email and keep a, keep a posted on everything that's happening. Uh, hopefully you'll be uh, moved to subscribe to the magazine because it, uh, we are going to make it worth your while. It's going to be something special. It's fantastic content. Some writers that have uh, graced uh, our airways, Anya Stanley, I believe. Yeah. And uh, Ashley Blackwell as well. Yep. Great. They've been on here. Great writers. Yeah. Uh, Ashley joined us for part five. Nice. Uh, and Anya helped us out last year with uh, a happy birthday to me, which is a personal favorite very of cool, ours. Very cool. Yeah. They're on board. We've got a lot of other um, great people on board, too. Yes, so many great people. The people that you've heard of, people that you might not have. Uh, I, myself, am a subscriber, and I implore everyone to do so as well. If you're going to do something in print media, make it awesome. And this sounds awesome. Thank you. I think so, too. All right. Yeah. And I, I refuse to be proven wrong. You will only prove me That's right. That's right. What I demand. Okay, Gina, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Well, I, after that, I'm just going to give you the equivalent of the the sound of a balloon deflating <laughs> by <laughs> by saying that that I have a website. Nice. But it's just me writing about old television and movies and pop culture, and that's at GinaRadcliffe.com. And also, I'm on Twitter. It's just me. Porcelain 7-2. Do it today, people. Check it out. Hey, you want to support us here at the Kill by Kill podcast? There's a couple different ways you can do it. You can give us a nice review on iTunes with five stars. Uh, that would be awesome. We've gotten some great reviews lately from people, and we would love that train to continue. Let's get into triple digits. Let's see where we go from there. That'd be nice. Hey, um, you can follow us on Twitter at Kill by Kill Pod, Instagram, uh, Kill by Kill Podcast. Uh, we have the Facebook group as well if you want to discuss things. And if you have something longer than 280 characters to say, which I can't imagine, but it's been known to happen, uh, reach out to us at killbykillpod at gmail.com. And so that will do it for today. Uh, don't worry, the body count will continue, folks. For myself and for Phil and for Gina, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Kill by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.